Well, good morning. I hope this uh, finds all of you well. I hope this finds all of you uh, doing your very best to stay away from this crazy virus. And uh, I hope this uh, finds you still connected to your church family and still connected to Jesus. I just want to let you know that I pray for you often. And uh, I can say this with 100% uh, surety. I'm just about tired of this pandemic. I'm tired of not being with my family. I'm not. I'm tired of not being with my church family. Uh, I'm. I'm just about ready for it to go. But uh, I will have patience, and we're going to see this thing through to the end. Uh, I'm ready to get back together as a church. Amen. Uh, let me just uh, give you one little heads up. Folks, we have Bethesda Food Ministry here uh, on Tuesday mornings, and uh, we would be glad to serve you, your friends, your relatives, anyone in our community that you would know of that needs assistance with food. Uh, we are stocked up. Our pantry is uh, uh, doing real well during this time, and uh, we're prepared to order as much food as we need so as to keep our food pantry going. So if you know of anybody that needs assistance, please send them our way. And uh, know this also, if by chance they happen to miss the Tuesday morning uh, food ministry, we can uh, uh, supply them with food really just during the course of, of the week at any time. Uh, all you need to do is uh, call the office. If there's no one there, just leave a message and uh, we'll get back to you. So again, uh, we're believing God to use our food pantry to uh, help our community in this time of need. Amen. Well, let's take a few moments and uh, worship and just love on Jesus. I appreciate so much our worship team and our tech team being here and giving of themselves to make this possible. Uh, so we're just going to turn it over to them now. Amen. tries to roll over my bones When sorrows come to steal the joy I want When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance when I When I stand in your love, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. She no longer has a face to hide. I am not a captive to I won't be shaken, I won't be shaken, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I
appreciate so much that music. Well, God bless you this morning as you join. I hope I have a good word for you. I believe the Holy Spirit has something really rich that he wants to drop in our souls this morning. So uh, let's get started. Title of my message this morning is this, Did Jesus Wear Socks? And we'll get into it in just a minute. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity we have, Lord, to come before you this morning. Lord, we know you have something so good that you want to drop into each one of our hearts, Lord. And Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the anointing, Father, on this word, Lord God, we're going to get it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, folks, this morning, everyone, I believe, has some type of picture in their mind of what Jesus must have been like 2,000 years ago. Some kind of perception in your mind of what he would have been like. I mean, how tall was he? How much did he weigh? How long was his hair? How long was his beard? Every one of us have some type of picture. That picture is probably uh, um, a result of something that we've seen at one time or another. Perhaps a, uh, some somebody painted some kind of painting about Jesus. Well, this morning, I want to talk about my perception of Jesus. Now, get this. I, I might be a little off, but, but just hang on with me. My perception is this. I believe Jesus would have been wearing socks with his sandals. And some of you may laugh about that, but you see, I've got this thing about my feet, and uh, I just don't hardly go anywhere without my socks on, my shoes on. I just uh, I have this thing about people seeing my feet without anything on them. 
Uh, there's been a few times uh, whenever I do baptisms or uh, uh, whenever uh, we've done uh, productions and we've acted out something, people have seen my feet bare, but very few. Um, I can remember one time somebody knocked on our door and my wife was in her pajamas and I was dressed, but I didn't have my socks on. And I asked her to go to the door and answer it in her pajamas. And she's not let me forget that. But uh, I believe Jesus would have had socks on. And, and that's just me. Again, that's my perception. I just don't think Jesus would have been out in public with his naked feet. I think he would have had socks on, probably still wearing sandals, but socks on. And I'm thinking maybe knee-high socks. Well, I'll just let that set in and soak in for a moment, but uh, maybe maybe you wouldn't be wearing socks. But in children's church years ago, one of the things I did with the kids was I, I used to ask them, if Jesus came to your community, let's say Jesus came to Franklin this morning, you know, how would Jesus be here in Franklin? I mean, how would he get around? Would he drive? Would he ride a donkey? Would he walk everywhere he went? How would, uh, I mean, where would he Where would he eat? Would he go to Wendy's? Would he go to McDonald's? Would he go to Taco Bell? I, You know, wh where, where would Jesus live if he was in our community this morning? What kind of clothes would he wear? Would he wear clothes like you and I wear today? You know, jeans and uh, a, a t-shirt? Or would he be walking around in a rope? What would Jesus... What would Jesus be like if he was here in Franklin physically with us today? What church would he attend? That's a good one. And here's my thought. I, I think, you know, I'm very partial to Trinity Church, and so I think he would probably come here. So anyway, that, that's just me again. But uh, in other words, uh, what would Jesus be like if he was here in our midst today? And even a little step further than that, what if Jesus was at your house what if he was at your house? If he were at your house, I will just tell you this, social distancing would be right out the window. He said, I'm coming over to your house because I want to see Jesus. I have an idea that there would probably be a lot of other people that would want to see Jesus as well. And so they'd be coming to your house. So uh, cook some good food so we can all eat once we get there. Well, 2,000 years ago, um, that was the way it was as well. Jesus came to Jerusalem, and people wanted to see him. They wanted to see him. All through the course of Jesus' ministry, people were constantly wanting to be around Jesus. They wanted to see him. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about wanting to see Jesus. Wanting to see Jesus. i got a little story I want to read for you. Uh, there's a lot of wacky people out there, people desperate to catch a glimpse of Jesus. A few years ago, a woman in New Mexico, actually Lake Arthur, New Mexico, I've been there many times, she was cooking tortillas. One of the tortillas burnt, and as a result was an image that looked like the face. She thought it looked like Jesus' face. She took, she took the tortilla to her priest, and he agreed it looked like Jesus, so he blessed it. She placed it in a box surrounded by cotton to make it appear as if it was floating in air. They built an altar around it and started praying there. Word began to spread about, uh, about the holy tortilla, and soon thousands of people visited their home to pray before the holy tortilla, the shrine of the miracle tortilla. It's said that there was upwards of 35,000 people came from all over the world to see the face of Jesus burnt in this tortilla. Jesus has not only materialized in tortillas, but 
he's materialized on Pizza Hut billboard, in the plate of a, uh, in the plate of a spaghetti, on a bowling alley chimney, reflected from a porch light onto a car bump, bumper until the light was turned off and the car moved, on a diner placemat, and even on a dead priest's shoes. Wood grains, pancakes, or even Walmart receipts that seem to have an image of Jesus on them. So this morning we're going to talk about what the Bible talks about, what the Bible says about seeing Jesus. We uh, we know that whenever he was physically here on this earth, back in Jerusalem and the various places he went to throughout the whole land of Judea, there were people who seen him and. I believe there were probably thousands of people that seen him, and I hope that I would have been among them. People, uh, people that wanted to see Jesus, I would have been someone that wanted to see Jesus, and I hope that all of us would have been among those individuals that would say, I want to see Jesus. And so my question to all of us this morning is, do you want to see Jesus? So open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 12. We're going to read a passage of Scripture that is very familiar to us as it's read oftentimes on Palm Sunday. So John chapter 12, and let's go all the way to verse number uh, verse number 12. We'll read all the way through verse 22. It says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches and palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, uh, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it was as is written, for fear not, daughter of Zion, behold your king coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had to come, had to, had, and they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they had heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So let's look at this story here found in John chapter 12 and what's going on. One of the things that I noticed immediately is that these Greeks, these, these Greeks seem to be missing something at Passover because you see that's what's they're right in the middle of the whole Passover time. If we'd have been in Jerusalem on that day, we have seen this, this huge crowd making its way down towards the temple. Among this crowd is these Greeks, these Greeks, these Greek proselytes who had converted to Judaism and they were allowed to worship at the temple. They came, and they were sincere worshipers. They were, they were sincere about, about, about God and all the things about God. They were hungry for spiritual truth as those religious things that they had come out of into Judaism. So they were hungry for spiritual truth, and they watched all the rituals. They attended all the meetings, 
And they notice, despite all of these outward things, all of these outward ceremonies, something was still missing. I really believe that these Greek proselytes were still empty. And I I have an idea that they were not alone in their emptiness. There were probably many who who were knowing that something was still missing and they wanted more. There were others, though, that probably were satisfied. They were satisfied with what they had. They were satisfied to watch the rituals and to attend the meetings. So the news came to these Greek proselytes that someone was there who knew the real meaning of the Passover. And so they made way. They made way to go seek this one called Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And they were, uh, you know, they were going towards him to see him. But one of the things we need to understand is Jesus seems as though in his earthly ministry that he had this uh, uh, unseen kind of magnetism. It was like everybody around him was drawn to him. And so these Greeks, they were drawn to him. They probably had heard a few things about Jesus, but whenever they heard he was coming into town, they were drawn to see him. They were drawn to see him much like the Magi were uh, in, around Jesus' birth. They were drawn to see the, the Christ child uh, how many ever years before. These Greeks came asking, as they came to Philip, they said, Philip, or sir, we would like to see Jesus. Just like these Greeks knew there was something besides all the rituals and besides all the meetings, there was something missing in their pass in their Passover. Many people are finding church what we're in the middle of. They're finding church to be empty. You see, churches today are filled with people who they sing the songs and they listen to the sermons, but they never have had that encounter with Jesus Christ. To repeat myself, they came as sincere worshipers. They were hungry for spiritual truth. As they watched all the rituals and attended all the meetings, they noticed that despite all the outward ceremonies, there was still something missing. It's the way it is in church today. We have people coming seeking truth. We have people coming and they're in the midst of all the outward things that are taking place at church, but there's still something missing. You see, what what we have is we have people that have a partial experience, this kind of distant touch of the Lord, but not enough literally to completely deliver them from the various things that so often drag us down. Maybe that's why maybe that's why people sometimes just get comfortable and maybe that's the way they want it. They don't want their apple cart uh, shook. They just want status quo. They just want um, not to be disturbed. Because a lot of times that's what Jesus does whenever he comes into our lives. He he disturbs those things that uh, are in our lives that need to be disturbed. Too many Christians live in kind of a half-light situation. Halfway between two worlds, They have one foot in each one of these worlds. They have a halfway commitment. They have a halfway worldview. They're just halfway involved. I don't think we realize how bad off we are until we see Jesus, until we've had that encounter with the living God of this universe. We, We can't see how 
sometimes we're so messed up and how sometimes we need so much help from him. In Isaiah 6, um, this is what it says. It says, when Isaiah saw the vision of God, he was surrounded with angels that covered their face with their wings, and they flew with two wings. They covered their feet with the other, wing, other two wings, and they literally cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah never knew how bad off he was until he had this encounter with God. And all of a sudden, he seen his sinful condition. And he cried out to the Lord for his sins. That's why all need to see Jesus. Everybody does. We all need to have that encounter with Jesus to encounter him on a level that's, that's, that's more than just sitting in church. It's more than just hearing a sermon, but it's encountering the fullness of who he is. That's what the Greeks came seeking. I want to see Jesus. Sir, we want to see Jesus. That's what they said to Philip. The wonder of seeing. I mean, have you ever thought about what a wonderful gift being able to see is. You see, we have five senses. It's taste, touch, smell, hearing, and sight. My wife has one more sense than that, though. She has a sixth sense, and you can ask my kids about this. She is a mind reader, literally. She can read the minds of our kids. She can read my mind. It's so crazy sometimes. I'm thinking something, and she can look right at me and tell me what I'm thinking. It's scary. She's got a sixth sense. The last three of these senses, though, the hearing, the smell, the sight, we can do these from a distance. You have to taste something up close. You have to touch something up close. But the, the other three, you have to be done. They have to be, you, they can be done from a distance. We can smell a forest fire miles away. We can hear thunder. They say up to 10 to 15 miles away, we can hear thunder. But our sight is the most far-reaching sense that we have. We can see a galaxy literally 3.5 billion light years away. So this morning, how important is our sight? The act of seeing starts when, this is a science lesson, the act of seeing starts whenever the lens of our eye focuses on an image. That image is projected on the back of the eye called the retina. The brain goes through this incredibly complex computation, algorithms, and all the other things, and it reconstructs this 3D digital model of the image in our brain of what we're looking at. 3D model, all of these brain waves, every second of our life, if we have our eyes open, our brain is constantly making these computations so that we can see this 3D image. This is it. As we focus on Jesus, as we see him, the light of the world, that's what he's called, our spiritual eyes begin to form this 3D image of Jesus in us. As I get closer to Jesus, one of the things I realize is this. He probably didn't wear socks. He probably didn't look like most of the pictures that are drawn of him. Jesus is so big and so wonderful, I don't think a man's paintbrush could ever catch what he's really like. The closer that we are to Jesus, the more we focus on him, the more our spiritual eyes make this 3D image of Jesus inside of us. Because that's the way I see Jesus. 
not with my eyes, but with what's on the inside of me. Listen to what it says in Galatians 4.19. It says, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So see, the more that we look at Jesus, not with our eyes, but with our spirits, the more he's being formed in us. That 3D image of who he is is being formed on the inside of us. Depends on us whether or not we get a full view, a full 3D image of it, or just a glimpse of him. How many... How many people have only gotten a glimpse of Jesus and have never taken the time to just gaze on him? You see, a gaze is this prolonged look that lets the full image develop in our lives. So this prolonged look instead of a glimpse of Jesus, because there's a lot of people that have just gotten a glimpse of Jesus, gotten a glimpse of his goodness and his love and his mercy. But until you fully gaze upon Jesus... That image cannot be formed in our soul. See, if you fell in love with somebody, you're going to want more than a glimpse of them. You're going to want to gaze on it. I can tell you uh, that's the way it was with my, with my wife. I can remember whenever we were dating, I, I just wanted to look at her all the time. I mean, beautiful, beautiful. I, how she ever chose me, I don't know, but she did. The same with Jesus Christ. The more we look at him, the more we want to see him, the more beauty that is unveiled in our hearts. But we have to go after more than just a glimpse. We have to go after the ability to gaze at him. Photographers know that shutter speeds, the time that that shutter is open, the speed that it's opened and closed, determine how much light is exposed to the film. The longer that you keep a camera shutter open, the more light that gets in to form the picture. Five minutes away, maybe, uh, or five minutes may be enough to boil an egg, but I will tell you, it's not enough time to reproduce Christ inside of you. You got to leave that camera shutter open longer so as that more of Him can get in, the more, more of the light of, of who Jesus is can get in so that He may be formed, His image may be formed inside of you. You see, this, this morning, one of the things that I, I, I wholeheartedly uh, recommend is that we spend more time in prayer, more time in His Word, more time worshiping Him. The longer the exposure is to Jesus, the more concrete that His image will be on that photographic film in our hearts. To be transformed. To be transformed is what you and I are going after. See, the more that Jesus is formed in our heart, the more that image transforms who we are. Because whenever Jesus is in us and he gets bigger and he, he comes alive, the more that image transforms us, the more we're going to act like Jesus. 
I want to read that scripture again, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding or gazing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image. The more we behold, the more we are transformed. So let's talk a little bit more about these Greeks and their desire to see Jesus. These Greek men, these Greek women, they wanted to see Jesus. Not only to see his face, but they wanted to hear his voice. They wanted to look into his eyes. They wanted to to have a conversation with him. They wanted to hear the word of God come out of his lips. And you might say, well, pastor, that's a pretty far reach to think they wanted all of that. The Bible says they just wanted to see him. Well, you know, they wanted to see him, yes. That's what the Bible says. But I, I want to prove to you that, that it was probably far more than just wanting to look at him. Have you ever had somebody that has something in their hands and they're, they're looking at it, perhaps they're showing it to you, something new that they got, and, and you go, can I see that? Whenever you say, can I see that, you're not saying, I just want to look at it because you've been looking at it in their hands. You hold out your hand and you want them to give it to you so that you can do far more than just look at it. You can hold it and you can can check it all out. You can push all the little buttons that might be on it. Let me see it. They wanted to do far more than just see Jesus. Just like Mary and Martha, whenever Jesus came to their house, Martha rushed around. She was doing all the work, but Mary literally sat at Jesus' feet and, 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 and she was beholding him. She was gazing up at Jesus and she was absorbing all his words. She was absorbing what was coming out of his spirit. Jesus said of Mary, she said, Mary chose the best part. That's what it says, the best part. You see, our top priority should be sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his words and absorbing who he is because that's what brings about transformation in us. If we want to be transformed, if we want to move past where we are, we have to be at Jesus' feet absorbing who he is, getting that image in our spirit of him. If you want to see him, where is it that you can go to see him? I mean, a moment ago, I was talking about him being at your house and, you know, social distancing practices, they're all out the window because people are going to come and they're going to see Jesus. Well, uh, he's at your house, but not physically at your house. His spirit is everywhere on the face of the earth. So where is it that we can go see him? Because right now he is uh, not physically with us any longer. The Bible tells us he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus is everywhere in the Bible, though. If you want to see Jesus, I I urge you to open the pages of the Bible. He's everywhere in the Bible. He was the Garden of Eden's tree of life, and he was Abel's acceptable sacrifice. He was Noah's ark of salvation in the flood. He was Abraham's ram offered in place of Isaac. He was Israel's Passover lamb, protecting them from the death angel in Egypt. He was Moses' rod that he divided the waters with. He was the tabernacle in the wilderness. He was Joshua's captain of the armies of the Lord. He was Rahab's scarlet cord in the window. He was Gideon's sword and David's sling and stone. He was Daniel's lion 
tamer, the fourth man in the fiery furnace. He was Isaiah's wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He was Zachariah's uh, fountain for cleansing, opened in the house of David. That's why we can sing this song. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. He was Malachi, son of righteousness, with healing in his wings. He's the rose of Sharon, the bright and morning star, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's all over the Bible. If you want to see him, if you want to see Jesus, he's, he's all over the pages of the Bible. He's everywhere. So people saw Jesus whenever Jesus was walking here on this earth, and it affected their lives. See, whenever you and I see Jesus, whenever our spirits begin to make that, that, that uh, image of him in our souls, it's going to change us. It's going to affect us. And so here's a couple of ways we see in the Bible how that seeing Jesus affected him, how being around Jesus affected him. Hardened soldiers sent to arrest Jesus returned with, with, without, without him saying, no man ever spoke like this man. It affected them. Professional fishermen said of him, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Righteous leaders were amazed. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. The centurion at, at Christ's crucifixion, crucifixion declared, truly, this is the Son of God. So this morning, I go back to that question. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you really want to see him? Do you really want to know Jesus? Do you really want to have an encounter with the living God that will turn your world literally upside down? Because that's whenever you get a good image of who Jesus Christ is, you get a good image of what he is, it begins to turn your world upside down. Or perhaps you're someone that I'm speaking to this morning that you're just satisfied where, where you are. You're satisfied with what you have. Maybe you've come to a place where you've, you've, you've seen enough of Jesus. You're satisfied to watch all the rituals and attend all the meetings. Maybe you've tried. Maybe there's a, a time in your life where you were pursuing Jesus. Maybe you were going after Him, but now you've just kind of, you know, it's, it's good. It's status quo. Maybe there was a time, though, where you, you really wanted Him. Nothing else would do. Absolutely nothing but Jesus. Maybe you wanted that life-changing changing encounter with Jesus. Maybe you wanted him to turn your world upside down. But maybe where you're at right now, you could say, well, not so much anymore. See, I know a lot of people that have pursued Jesus and went after him with a real genuine heart. They've, they've wanted to see Jesus, but they gave up. They quit pursuing him after a while. Well, there's all, all kinds of things that can cause us to quit pursuing him. There's people that just literally settle for the minimum experience. Well, I've got enough. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. That's all I need. But there's so much more. There's so much more that he wants for us. 
maybe they come to a place in their life where they think that's all there is. That's all I, all, all there is. That's all that's out there for me. This experience that I've had with Jesus at the altar where I gave my life to, maybe that's all they think because maybe that's all their church teaches or maybe that's all they know. Sometimes it's the effort that they put into it because I will say this, it takes effort to see Jesus the way he wants us to see him. It's not just going to happen because you sleep on your Bible every night. It's going to happen because you open the pages. It's not going to happen just because somebody else prays. It's going to happen because you pray. Little effort produces little results. Maybe it's the cares of this world because this is what I will tell you. The, the, the cares of this world sometimes are really big, and they can literally choke out our desire to see Jesus. They can choke out our desire to have that relationship with him. Or maybe we've just come to a place where we have settled. I'm okay. I'm good. Okay. Well, this morning I want to go over five steps where I believe if we apply these things to our lives, it'll open up the door so that we might be able to see Jesus for that image of him every day that we live to be solidified, that 3D image to be solidified in our souls, to be solidified in our hearts. First thing that I believe you have to do absolutely positive is you have to remove the barriers to your spiritual vision. How we see is not with these eyes, but we see with our spirit. And so we have to remove those things that stand between our vision seeing Jesus Christ, our spiritual vision seeing Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we do that is we've got to get rid of our sin. We've got to repent of our sin. Sin blocks our view. In Matthew 5, 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In Isaiah 59, 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear you. We've got to separate ourselves from that sin. The only way we can do that is to be born again. Jesus told this very religious guy in John chapter 3, this is John 3, 3, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That new birth, that being born again, is an absolute prerequisite to seeing Jesus Christ. we got to get rid of that sin in our lives. The second thing that I believe we have to do, one of these, these steps so that we'll see, be able to see Jesus is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, whenever you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you become much more sensitive to spiritual things. The Holy Spirit uh, regularly will reveal things to each one of us who stay full of Him. The Holy Spirit has come to reveal Christ to us. It's His job in us to show us Jesus Christ. The third thing that we need to do is we need to see Jesus in the Scriptures. I've already mentioned that. John 5, 39 says this, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is, and, and it is they that bear witness about me. The Scriptures are going to tell us about Jesus. They bear witness of Him. All through the Bible, as I said before, there is Scripture after Scripture after Scripture that open our eyes to who Jesus is. 
The fourth thing that we've got to do out of these five steps is this. We've got to find a way to get alone with God. We've got to find a, a way to get alone of God. with God. In Psalm 46.10, it says this, Be still and know that I am God. This is, this is the, the enemy's greatest tool that he uses to keep us separated from Jesus Christ, and that is busyness. It can be busyness of any kind. I can be too busy doing the work that he has put me here at Trinity to do as a pastor and not spend time with God. Busyness, 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 going here, going there, running everywhere. We've got to find a time where we can get alone with him. Get rid of all the distractions. I challenge you, man, don't go into your prayer closet with your, your phone or your iPad. Just get rid of it so that you're not going to see the next email or the next text or the next chat that you get. You got to get rid of the distractions. You got to develop a heart that pursues God, a heart that pursues him, a heart that goes after him. David was a man, the Bible says, after God's own heart. David was a man who pursued God. He wanted more of God. In Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, it says, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make it worth, I'll, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. That's out of the message, but it's so well written. You come looking for me, you'll find me. That's that heart to pursue Jesus Christ. The fifth thing that I want to mention this morning is you got to want Jesus more than anything else. You got to want Jesus more than anything else. That's what helps develop this image of Jesus on the inside of who you are, on your soul, in your spirit. This, this image of who he is can only be developed whenever he comes to a place where he's more important than the, things that you, the other things in your life. In Philippians 3.8, it says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Let me read that one more time. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ my Lord. It goes on to say, I have put, all, I put aside all else, counting it worthless, worth less than nothing in order that I can have Christ. All earthly things, they just dim in comparison to who Jesus is. We have to have a heart that goes after him, and the only way our heart is going to pursue God fully is whenever everything else becomes second to him. But there is a price tag to this. Let me, let me just warn you, God will not sell himself cheap. He's just not gonna, he's just not gonna sell himself cheap to us. There's a price to it. In Matthew 13, verse 45 and 46, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant sinking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all, all that he had, and he bought that pearl. He went and sold all that he had and bought that pearl. You see, folks, there's some things in our lives that we need to put on tell it and sell it. We need to get rid of them. No swapping and bargaining. We just need to sell them outright. I'll give you a few things. We need to sell our sinful pleasures because, folks, if there was ever a nation that indulged in sinful pleasures, it is the United States of America. 
sinful pleasures must be sold. Old prejudices must be sold. Our own righteousness, our own pride, our own love of money, our popularity, our old cranky natures, they all have to be sold. We got to get rid of them. Can't worry about your friends and what they're going to say because you're going after Jesus because you got to see him. I got to see him. I got to see him as he is. I've, I've caught a glimpse of him, but I want more. Can't worry about what your friends are going to say. You've got to sell out to Jesus. There's only one price for the priceless pearl. You must sell everything that you have. Then nothing that you have is going to be yours. It's all going to be God's. And he's going to use all of that as he desires in our lives. Do you want more of Jesus than you have? That's the question. Do you want more of Jesus? As these Greeks come seeking Jesus, they, they say, we want to see him. We want to see him. We want to hear him. We, we want to know more because we've, been, we've, we've found ourselves empty after all of these rituals, after all of these ceremonies. We're still empty. We want to see Jesus. Do you want to know him? You see, as I wrestled with this message, as I prepared it, one of the, one of the things I wrestled with is, is, Watson, do you want to know him more? I've had some amazing experiences with God. He's shown me so much of who he is, and he's dropped so much of who he is in my spirit. But yet, I had to ask myself the question, do I want to know him more? Did I, do I have enough of him where I just stop, or do I want more? I want to be like these Greeks. I want to see, I want to see Jesus. I don't, I don't want any more ritual. I don't want any more meetings. I don't want any more of the outward ceremonies because they're not enough. I want more. Do you want more? The first step to seeing more of Jesus is to get rid of those barriers. And this morning, I got to talk to you about that primary barrier, that, pr that barrier of sin. Our sins separate us from God. And so my admonishment to each person is to get right with God, to repent and get right with God, to be born again, to ask Jesus to come and dwell inside of your heart. So this morning, we all should be people who are asking to see Jesus. I want to see him. I want him, I, I want him to be revealed in my heart even more than he is today. And I will be born again. I will get rid of that sin. I will open up the scriptures and I will search the word of God for Jesus. I will be found waiting on him in that secret place. And I will elevate him in my life above all else because he is worth more than anything this world has to offer. I'll give him everything so that I might have who he is. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray over all that are listening. And I pray, Father, that these words of revelation that you've given to us, Lord God, out of this amazing book we call the Bible, 
I pray that they seek deep into our hearts, Lord, and that we would be like these Greeks, Lord, that we would want to see Jesus. We want more of him. We're tired of all of the things, Lord, that, that are not you. We want you. And we're ready, Lord God, to separate ourselves and to repent from the sin, Father, to be born again, to commit, Father, our lives to searching your word. And Father, above all else, Lord God, elevating Jesus to that, that first place in our lives, first place over everything else, Lord God, that we might know him, that we might see him. We ask, Father, that you would speak to each of our hearts, Lord God, through the power of this word, that, Father, that we would become a people who are hard after the person of Jesus Christ, pursuing him with everything that's in us. Because, Lord, your word promises, if we seek you, we will find you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing day. And I encourage you to see Jesus everywhere, in anything, in everything, because he's there. Amen. God bless you.